Well, good morning, brethren. It's good to see you, or to almost see you. I can't, I, had, I have to change glasses. I should have gotten trifocals. But the bifocals were cheaper, so. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first five verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Please be seated. My mother uh, is with us today. She's 95 years old. Say hi, Mom. She said she wouldn't come if it was raining. So, um, But since it's not raining and she's here, I thought I might need to change my introductory statement because I'm going to pick on her a little bit. Okay? And I just told her. I told her, I said, don't be offended and don't be embarrassed, but I'm going to tell a story about you. So here we go. My mom's 95 years old, and she likes hot dogs. I, I like hot dogs, too, but, but she apparently has this thing about hot dogs. And one day last year, she and my sister were driving past this gas station fast food type joint, and they had advertised out there that they sell delicious hot dogs. So, so they stopped and got a couple of hot dogs. This past Monday, my mom and Sharon and I were driving past that same gas station again. And my mom said to us, Robin and I, Robin's my sister, Robin and I, we stopped there once and bought a couple of hot dogs. That was the worst hot dog I've ever had in my life. <laughs> now, now, if you've been eating hot dogs for the greater part of 100 years, and that was the worst one you ever had. That must have been a bad hot dog. And, I, and we've been encouraged not to buy hot dogs at that gas station. 
And that was not the first time she had told us that. Actually, I think it was probably the fifth or the sixth time that we've been told that station sells the worst hot dogs in the world. And when, when you get old, I mean, who knows what, things, what kind of things I'll be repeating when I'm 95. But as you get older, you tend to re repeat yourself. And I don't want to see the hands of those who have heard me repeat myself to you. Don't, just don't, don't it's, it's embarrassing. A couple of days ago, she told me another story about uh, her Sunday school teacher from 45 years ago. And I'm sure I've heard that story 45 times, which is fine. If you are prone to repeat yourself like some of us are, you are in very good company. If you read the Gospel of John, if you just sit down and read through it, you will notice quickly that Jesus himself repeated himself a lot. A whole lot, especially in the Gospel of John. And it wasn't because he was an old man. It wasn't because he was forgetful. It was intentional. There were things that he wanted us to know and to be sure that we knew. And there's one thing in particular that he, that he repeated again and again and again. Why? I mean, if it was anyone else that was repeating themselves like Jesus did, we try to make excuses for them. Well, you know. We don't need to make excuses for Jesus. He says these things intentionally. He intentionally repeated himself because he wanted to be sure to communicate this one particular thing, which we're going to look at, very clearly and very unmistakably. Look with me again at John chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Do you notice what is repeated? In the first two verses of John's Gospel, he repeats himself, that Jesus, the Word, was with God. Point number one. Jesus is the humble God who was sent. John begins his gospel by speaking of the origin of Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus technically has no origin. Why would we say that? These two verses explain that to some degree. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was in the beginning. We go on to read that everything was made by him. Well, who made everything? God did. Jesus is God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternal. So that's not what we're really concerned with today. What we really want to know, and, and the thing that is addressed here is, where is the man Jesus from? Where did he come from? That's a question that's asked numerous times, particularly in the Gospel of John. Where are you from? Who gave you this authority to speak this way, to say these things? 
Well, John tells us very, very clearly Jesus came from God. He was with God. We know Jesus, uh, John is referring to Jesus when he calls him the Word here in these two verses because down in verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal Word came from God, became a human being, and lived on earth. Now, if we just stopped there, we would have plenty to talk about. We're not going to stop there, but if we were to stop there, there would be plenty to discuss. It, it seems to me, and especially in the past, well, in my lifetime, but if you look throughout human history, it seems that men have been looking to the stars for someone to come. Looking to the stars, to the heavens, for the gods who live there. That's, that's, been, that's a standard human activity throughout all of human history. Today, we have these sophisticated means of using radio telescopes to search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And we have spent who knows how much money searching the stars, trying to find someone out there who presumably is smarter than us, or at least as smart as us, who know how to build a radio and send a signal out. We want to know if there's anybody out there. It's funny that in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord uses a star or something referred to as a star, something that looks like a star from the heavens that leads the wise men to the very house where the Lord Jesus lives. I, I think of him as the divine extraterrestrial. And this divine extraterrestrial, Jesus, is there in the house. He's a little boy living with his mom and Joseph. And this divine extraterrestrial, nobody really thought much of him. Why? Because he looked like all the other kids. There was nothing that really set him apart other than that he never did anything wrong. But he looked like all the other little Jewish kids. Nobody... nobody Paid him much attention because there was nothing really outstanding. As we read through John's gospel, you should make note of every occurrence of the kinds of statements that John makes here in the first chapter that mention where Jesus is, is from. In 21 chapters, in my study, I counted 66 unambiguous statements concerning the origin of the man Jesus. His coming to earth from heaven. For example, and we're going to look at a lot of these verses. We're just going to look at them. If you don't want to flip the pages, you can write down the references. But there's a lot of them. Well, I'm not going to read all 66, okay, because there's a clock there. Uh, chapter 3, verse 31. John the Baptist is speaking. He's speaking to his disciples concerning Jesus, and he says this. He who comes from above is above all. Where is Jesus from? Above. 
He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He who comes from above, he who comes from heaven, he whom God has sent. So where is Jesus from? He's from above, he's from heaven, he's from God. He's not from this world. He's extraterrestrial. Where, where is heaven? The scriptures are pretty, pretty consistent. Heaven is which direction? Up. We don't know exactly. It's just up. You know, wherever you are on the globe, it's up from wherever you are. That's where heaven is. That's where God is. That's where Jesus is from. Look at chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking. He's, he fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a little bit of fish. And then he walks across the Sea of Galilee four miles to meet up with the disciples in the boat. And in 38, verse 38, he's speaking to the crowd that he had fed. And he says to them, um, excuse me, John 6, 35, he says to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. There it is again, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I've come down from heaven, from him who sent me, and again, from him who sent me. Why does this point continue to be made over and over again? And we're only in chapter 6. Turn to chapter 7. Verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but, what's it say? His who sent me. It's God's teaching. He sent me. Verse 25. John 7, 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, it is, not, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. These people are utterly clueless. They have no idea who Jesus is. And yet, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. 66 or more times. In this gospel alone, he says, I'm from God. I'm from heaven. The Father sent me. I'm not of this world. I mean, that's really the issue. Who, who is this Jesus? Where, where is he from? 
the people in Jerusalem, they're conflicted about him. Some are saying he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah. They see what he does, and they think this has got to be the Messiah. Look at, he, he walks on water, he feeds people with a handful of food. How, how could he not be the Messiah? And then the professionals say, you know, nobody, no prophets come from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah. But Jesus, in verse 33, he says, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. I'm just going to read some more. Why? Why, why am I taking You know, some of you might say, I, I heard you the first time. Why, why do you keep repeating yourself? Because the scriptures repeat this. I, that's, what, that's what fascinates me about this. Is that the scriptures repeat it again and again and again and again and again. Until you, you eventually get to the point that there's got to be more to this than what I've been thinking. Okay, Jesus is from heaven. Okay, the Father sent him. Okay. Why say it 66 times? Apparently because we don't put the kind of weight on that that the Scriptures put on it. John eight 16. I'm just going to read the phrases. John 8, 16, the Father who sent me. 8, 18, the Father who sent me. 8, 23, I am from above. I am not of this world. Verse 25, they say, who are you? And Jesus said to them, and it seems that he's getting a little exasperated over their ignorance, and he says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. What do you mean? Why are you even asking this question? I've already told you. Verse 42, I came from God. He sent me. There's no ambiguity here. There's no question. There should be no doubt who he thinks he is. Now, you remember, some of you are probably familiar with the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, either Jesus, this isn't a quote, but, but he put out the idea that Jesus is either crazy, he's a lunatic, or he's the biggest liar that ever walked on the face of the earth. Or these things are true. He really is from heaven. God really did send him. He really isn't of the earth. He really is the divine extraterrestrial. I came from heaven. Chapter 8, verse 26. He who sent me. Verse 29. He who sent me. Chapter 9, verse 4, him who sent me. Chapter 10, verse 36, him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world. 1244, him who sent me. 1245, him who sent me. 1249, the Father sent me. 1320, the one who sent me. 165, him who sent me. Where did he come from? The Father from God who sent him. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the God who was sent to us from heaven by God the Father. Now that is an outlandish claim. Either he is crazy or he's just, he's just lost his mind or he's a liar and he's just trying to deceive people. Or, this guy 
came this guy, this man. Apparently, he's not from Galilee. He's from heaven, and, and the two aren't close. You know, if he, if he was a prophet from Galilee, okay. He's, he's, he's from heaven. God sent him. In chapter 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus, obviously, he's speaking to the Father, and he's, he's praying, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Verse 8, 17, 8. The disciples have believed that you sent me. Verse 18, you sent me into the world. Verse 21, you have sent me. Verse 23, you sent me. Verse 25, you have sent me. There's no confusion on Jesus' part. He knows where he's from. He knows who he is. He knows where he came from. And all of this is written down so that we would know where he came from. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not from Galilee. He's not from Europe. He's certainly not from Chester. How many, how many times does he have to repeat it? And then we come to this very ironic statement in chapter 19. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate comes out and very bluntly just asks the question, where are you from? He's from God, from heaven. The Father sent him. Okay, so the Father sent him. Why? Why is that important? For what purpose was he sent by the Father into the world? Well, in chapter 3, we read exactly why God sent Jesus into the world. 3.17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, thankfully. But God did send his Son into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. He's the Savior of the world. He came from heaven to save us. Now, if anyone at all was sent into the world by God, should we not want to hear what he has to say? If someone has legitimately come from God, is, can, can demonstrate that he's from God, what kind of stuff does he do? Well, he turns water into wine, and he, he takes lame men and speaks to them, and they dance. He takes men who are born blind and gives them their sight, and that's never happened in the history of the world. He does these things. Why? Is it just because he's showing off? Because he, is it just showmanship? No, so that you'll believe he's from heaven, because... He's from God. He does these things so that people will believe that he's really, truly from God and he has something to say from God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I've come to save the world.
Now, if that person that was sent into the world by God was the son of God, would that not step it up a little bit? To send a prophet into the world with a message would be one thing. To send the son himself, we had best listen to what he says. Because he represents the God of the universe. I want you to notice, though, that the Father did more than send Jesus into the world. In John 3, 16, we read this. And this is one of the most familiar verses in all of Christendom. So be careful that you don't overlook the point that's being made. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, it doesn't say that he sent his son. It doesn't say that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him. He gave. The father gave his son to the world. Looking back on history, we would be tempted to think that was a bad move. Because what did the world do to God's Son, the Son whom He gave to us? That's point two. Jesus is the humble God who was given. The Father gave His only Son because why? The text tells us because he loved the world. Notice also that it doesn't say because he loved Israel. He loves the world. He gave his son, he gave his son because he loves the world. That's us. That's the Gentiles. That's the Jews. That's everybody. That's the world. There's a significant difference between the Father sending Jesus and the Father giving Jesus. And the motivation for giving Jesus to the world was love for the world, the salvation of the world, the deliverance from condemnation for the world. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. We read it earlier in chapter 9 when Moses read that passage. I don't know if you noticed it, but verse 6 says in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is what? Given, not sent. Well, we might want to ask the question, well, what, to what degree did God give us his son? How humble did he have to be? Well, God gave us his son to the degree that he actually truly became one of us. He's one of us. He is not untouchable, unreachable, unapproachable. He doesn't live somewhere else and, and has no real connection with us as the, as the Son of God in heaven. But God has not only sent Jesus to us, but given him to us. He belongs to us as one of us. He was, and 
I, I think we lose sight of this sometimes. He was not a man. He became a man. God the Son changed, <laughs> not in His essence, not in His divinity, but He put on flesh. He put on humanity. This is the degree to which the Father has given Him over, given Him over to us. And the text tells us the world didn't know Him, His own people did not receive Him, he was given to us by God, and he was beaten, mocked, stripped, and crucified by the world that he was given to. The divine extraterrestrial sent from heaven, given to us by God, we murdered. The Jews murdered him. The Romans murdered him. The world murdered him. And that was the plan. That was the whole plan. That was the purpose. That he would come, as Matthew tells us, to save his people from their sins. And this is the means by which that is accomplished. Point three. Jesus is the humble God who was sent, but he also is the one who sends us. Before Jesus was betrayed, before his arrest and crucifixion, during, during his agony in the garden, as he prayed to his Father within hours of his crucifixion, all alone, he prays this in John 17, 8. As you, Father, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So I have sent them into the world. He's talking about his disciples, but he's talking about us as well. We being his disciples also, we're sent. Now, why would the Lord Jesus send his disciples into the world that was about to crucify him? Why would he do such a thing? Well, because... What he would accomplish for the world in his death was worth dying for. This, the gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is the only means of forgiveness of sins, the only means of justification, the only means by which we are not condemned, the only means by which we will be saved. That's the message that he's given us to take to the world. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go into all the world. Go. We're being sent. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you think, well, what? he's God. He has all authority anyway, doesn't he? As a man, he has, as one of us, he has all authority in the universe. It's been granted to him. And this Ultimate authority, there is no appeal beyond him. He is the highest authority in all creation of all the universe. And he says, go. 
that authority commands us to go and make, disi make disciples of the world, make disciples of all nations. Jesus was sent. He sends us. So, God sent his son. God gave his son. God sends us. What must we do? We must give ourselves to this task of being the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus. We are sent, as he was sent, with the same mission, the same purpose for the salvation of the world. Jesus accomplished it. We go tell the good news that it's accomplished, that it's finished, that it's done, that his death on the cross is sufficient to save anyone who places their trust and confidence in him. Listen, beloved. Well, I can't say beloved. Listen, all of you, because there may be some here who, who don't believe this. These things were written, as John says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why we talk about it. He is from heaven. God did send him. He did come into the world to deliver us from the judgment. There's a day of judgment coming where we all will have to give an account to God. And Jesus came into the world to save us from that. And you say, well, I just can't believe it. Why? Because there's not enough evidence? Because God raising Jesus from the dead is not sufficient to prove that he has the approval of God the Father? What, what proof do you need? How many more thousands do you need to see him feed? He's the extraterrestrial that we've been looking for. We have to give ourselves to this task of telling the world there is one who was sent from heaven, actually came from heaven. All the way here with this message. Believe on him. Trust in him. Believe he's from God. Believe he's that ambassador from heaven. Believe in his resurrection. Repent of your sins. And follow hard after the Lord Jesus. Beloved, even if it kills you even if it kills you, because it might. And then we get resurrected, and we get to go home. On the last day, Jesus speaks to those who have trusted him, and he says, come, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It has been the plan from creation to save you and give you the kingdom. This is good news, beloved. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending the Son. Thank you for giving him to us. To become like us. To become one of us. So that we could relate. So that he would know what it means to suffer 
so that he could learn obedience to you so that he could die. And Peter tells us that he, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. We have a great Savior, and we thank you for him. Father, we pray that you would grant us the grace, the boldness, the courage, the love that we need in order to carry out his marching orders to us to go into all the world and preach this wonderful gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.